Okay, so Matthew 22, starting in verse 23. Let's stand together for the reading of God's authoritative word to us. Hear the word of God to you this morning. That same day, the Sadducees, who say there is no resurrection, came to him with a question. Teacher, they said, Moses told us that if a man dies without having children, his brother must marry the widow and have children for him. Now there were seven brothers among us. The first one married and died. And since he had no children, he left his wife to his brother. The same thing happened to the second and third brother, right on down to the seventh. Finally, the woman died. Now then, at the resurrection, whose wife will she be of the seven, since all of them were married to her? Jesus replied, You are in error, because you do not know the Scriptures or the power of God. At the resurrection, people will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like the angels in heaven. But about the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what God said to you? I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. When the crowds heard this, they were astonished at his teaching. Thus ends the reading of God's holy and errant word. May he bless it to our hearts and lives this morning. Please be seated. You may have heard this ancient saying. The enemy of my enemy is my friend. And that was certainly true with the religious leaders of Jesus' day. You've got, you got to figure this out here. You've got to see this. I don't want you to miss it. We're going to kind of jump back at a big picture for a second. And then we're going to get into these wonderful details. Okay, so the passage before this. You have to remember, the Pharisees and the Herodians get together to try to trap Jesus. All right, now what you have to understand is the Herodians and the Pharisees don't get along. They totally disagree with one another. Their whole white, the world and life view is different. Okay, the Pharisees resent the fact that Rome rules over Israel at this time. So they are, are against Rome. The Herodians cooperate with, with Rome. They, they, they try to snuggle in bed with Romans. They, they like the Roman rule. And so you have two people that, that are strange enemies that all of a sudden are friends for a moment. So they get together and they ask Jesus a question that both of them would have answered differently. You know, shall, should we pay taxes to Caesar? And you heard that last week where Jesus with one line, basically two lines, totally de- derails them and makes them look ridiculous and foolish. You remember that last week. Can't, I'm not going to get into that now. So let's just say, so that's the Pharisees, the Sadducees, I mean, and the uh, Herodians. Now you have the next group that figures they do one of these things. They go, let us have a crack at them. Now the irony here is the Sadducees and the Pharisees didn't get along at all because the Pharisees acknowledged that the Bible taught that there is a resurrection from the dead. The Pharisees agree that there are angels, that we are spirits that live forever and someday will be raised from the dead. The Sadducees had no such belief. The Sadducees were materialists. They didn't believe in angels. They didn't believe in any kind of life after death. Once you die, that's it. And yet, the other groups were kind of like, ahead, have your crack. And so basically what I'm saying is this. The religious leaders in Jesus' day couldn't agree on anything except one thing. 
Jesus had a go. They all totally agreed. They hated Jesus. And they wanted to get him out of the picture. Why? Well, we know just from the immediate context, forget about the whole gospel account, we know from the immediate context, Jesus just told them three parables, if you remember this, that completely uncovered their hypocrisy. In other words, they're play actors. They weren't really the spiritual leaders that they claimed to be. They were fake. He uncovered their stubborn unbelief. That means not that they didn't have enough evidence to believe, but they refused to believe. And he uncovered their wickedness, and they couldn't stand him for it. Because look, when posers are in charge and the real thing comes, what happens? They all for a minute call a truce because they've got to get rid of the genuine article because they're being shown up. That's what's going on in the text, and we need to see that before we get into the particulars. So the Sadducees, now what you have to understand is, I heard this joke, I'm sorry, it's so corny, but I had to say it. I remember hearing this when I first got saved. The Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection, so they were sad, you see? Sorry. Anyway, that's how I remember what they believe. I think maybe Chuck Swindoll, one of those guys, telling me that. But so you have to understand is, they were wealthy aristocrats, And it's from among their class in many instances, as I did my research, not always, but in many instances, the high priest and the priesthood came out of the Sadducees. And so they were influential. Uh, They had money. They They were aristocrats. They had influence to a degree. And so they come. Oh, one other quick thing about them that I also did some research, and I found this out. Um, they held only to the first five books of the Old Testament, the Pentateuch or the Torah. Now, they, from what I, could, what I read, they still hold to the other prophets, but they, don't, they say that the other prophets aren't as authoritative as the first five books. And so mainly, they would argue from the Torah. The rest of the books, they said, eh, some truth, some non-truth. We're sticking with the Torah. So that's important to see that. So what they did is they come to Jesus... And they give him a kind of a riddle. Some commentators say it's, it's, it's a Jewish dirty joke, but I, I don't understand how that is. But they come with a riddle, and the riddle's based on a law found in uh, Deuteronomy 25, I believe it is, verses 5 and 6. And listen, this, you have to understand this law or the rest of it won't make sense. So you've got to just hold on there and uh, put your thinking caps on and listen. So the law is basically called the Leveret Law, and here was the law in the Old Testament. It was in order to to safeguard widows and to make sure they still had a a, a name and a place, um, as well as the the person who died, that he would still have his name um, and um, his inheritance in Israel. So it, it goes like this. The man and woman marry... They don't have children yet, and the the man dies. If he has brothers, the next brother, next oldest brother, if he's unmarried, is to marry the widow, and his very first son will actually bear the name of his dead brother and carry on the family name for the dead brother. Then the rest of the children would be um, that second brother's um, offspring, so to speak. And so the the Sadducees... They, they bring this riddle in order to, to, to make Jesus look completely ridiculous and also to take a stab at the Pharisees to make the resurrection of the dead look ridiculous. So they tell this story about seven brothers. Now, we say it's hypothetical because really? I mean, when have you ever heard of this happening, right? We're all the way down the line. Um, the, the, the man keeps dying. 
And, and I like what some people say. You think by the third or fourth guy, the family would say, whoa, this, this, this lady's bad for the family, right? So obviously this is a very hypothetical situation. It's not real. And it's meant to make Jesus to, uh, look bad, have egg on his face, and discredit him as a rabbi. And particularly, you have to understand another thing real quickly. At the heart of Jesus' teaching throughout the Gospel of Matthew is the teaching of the resurrection from the dead. Many, many times Jesus alludes to it or comes right out and talks about it. He even talks about how on the third day he's going to be raised. So they're attacking a very foundational teaching of Jesus. And of course, the heart of the gospel, as we now know. Another thing we need to understand, and this is important to see this, they were not asking this question out of a genuine knowledge, wanting to know knowledge. Right? You know, sometimes we ask questions because we don't know the answer. But other times we ask, especially in public, we'll ask a question to make the person look foolish. We don't really want to know. I know an example of, uh, for me, in my own life, I was presenting the work of New City Fellowship and Hope for Atlantic City, uh, working with folks in the inner city, and I was at a church, and one guy stood up and goes, Santo, are you from the hood? You know what he meant. He meant to do. He meant to make me look ridiculous. And I didn't think, I, I just answered honestly, no, I'm from Point Pleasant, New Jersey, a beach town. And then when I was driving home, I thought I should have said, you know what? Jesus wasn't from the hood either. But he left heaven. Amen. And he came to earth. Uh, and, and, but I, I didn't think of it because I'm not Jesus. Je- Jesus is awesome, isn't he? I mean, Jesus' answer was like, kapow! All right, so we're going to get into the answer. I'm getting a little ahead of myself. All right, all right. So they craft this, um, this little riddle. And their big question is, at the resurrection, whose wife will she be of the seven since all of them were married to her? Now, the conundrum is this, then we'll jump right into the details. Think about it this way. If Jesus says she'll be the wife of all of them, what would happen? Jesus would be a polygamist, right? And that's not biblical. And so, and if he just arbitrarily said, up uh, number three, it would be like totally arbitrary. So he was, they, they thought, here's the issue. They thought they had Jesus over a barrel. They probably were like, (laughs) all these other groups couldn't get Jesus, but we got this one. Also, think about this. They probably rehearsed this one time and time again, and they probably used it with the Pharisees to some good good success. So they thought, let's let's go with the go-to. Let's hit it out of the park. It's interesting here is that Jesus not only succeeds in answering their little riddle satisfactorily, But in doing so, this is something that we have to see, he both upholds the law of Leverite marriage, Leverite marriage, and at the same time, he holds up the truth of the resurrection from the dead. He gets completely out of their false dilemma. And here's the interesting thing. We see the crowd is amazed at his teaching and his wisdom. They're just like, man, that's awesome. And what's cool, what I think is cool, is Jesus does all this in the space of a mere four sentences. Right? It already took me 10 minutes just to, to get into this thing. It took him, what, a couple seconds. What we're going to see in this text is this. Failure to believe in the resurrection of the dead is a serious error that betrays two things. Ignorance of the word of God and ignorance of the power of God. 
I'm going to say that again. Failure to believe in the resurrection of the dead is a serious error that betrays ignorance of the Word of God and ignorance of the power of God. Right? So let's take a look at the first one. Denial of the resurrection is a serious error. Let's look at verse 29. Jesus replied, You are in error. English word error, um, the, 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 rather the Greek word that's translated here as error, connotes the idea of to wander, to go astray. It's the idea of a, of, a, of a ship that has lost its moorings, that's out to sea with no way, no direction home, can't see land, and you're spinning around in circles, lost. Connotes the idea of a lamb. We talked about this in um, the junior church uh, last week or week before. Connotes the idea of a lamb. When we talk about a lamb going to sheep, what we don't often think about is the reason why that's such a bad state to be in because it's a dangerous state to be in. A sheep who is lost can be eaten by wolves, right? It could fall off a cliff. It could get caught in a thicket and starve to death. And that's what Jesus is saying to these religious leaders, the Sadducees. And think about it. Think about this, all right? He's saying that they have fallen away, that basically they're lost. They've, they're astray from the truth. They're in a dangerous situation. This is no small indictment for the high priestly class in Israel. Jesus is saying this about Israel's priests. You understand that? The spiritual leaders. The ones who have affluence. And he's saying, you know what? You're in grave error. You are lost. You're supposed to be teaching others? They're denying the core truths of the biblical faith. And they were dangerously floating out to a sea of separation with God forever. It's not a joke. This is not a matter of do we sprinkle or do we... (laughs) Immerse, right? Or, you know, or the end times theology. When is Jesus come back? Is he coming back at this point or that point? Is it pre-trib, post-trib? I don't know. I'm pan-millennial. It's going to all pan out in the end. Sorry. In other words, Jesus is coming. Amen? But this isn't like one of those things that is audiophor or things indifferent. It doesn't matter. This matters big time what you believe about, about it. If you remember earlier in Matthew's Gospel, this struck me as I studied for this text. In chapter 16, Jesus warned His disciples. This is powerful. I've always been fascinated with this verse. Jesus warned His disciples. He said, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And if you remember, they were like, Oh man, He's talking about bread. We didn't bring any bread. You know, and, and Jesus is like, How long am I going to be with you? He goes, I'm not talking about bread. When I fed the 5,000, right? How many, how many loaves were left over for crying out loud? I'm adding the crying out loud. That's not biblical. But. And his point was, no, listen. Beware of the teaching of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees. It's poison. And it's like a leaven. You know what leaven does? It gets throughout the whole batch of dough and it poisons the whole thing as it were. And I think it's powerful is this. We've seen so far Matthew's gospel, and we're really going to see it big time in chapter 23. We've seen the leaven of the, uh, the Pharisees. We know that their main thing was hypocritical legalism. 
And I'm not going to explain that today because I'm going to explain it in detail in chapter 23. So hold your hats for that one. And we have already explained it. But what we see here, this is a rare glimpse. We don't get to see this much in the Bible. This is a rare glimpse of the teaching that awful, wicked leaven of the Sadducees. And so we get to watch out exactly for what Jesus is telling us to watch out for as we see their dangerous teaching. One thing I mentioned before is that they're worldly materialists. They denied that there's anything after death, including any concept of resurrection, and they even denied the existence of angels. Now listen. Some commentators point out that they weren't atheists because they professed the faith in God, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. But in reality, they weren't really far from atheism when you think about it. For how completely inconsistent it is to believe in an eternal, immortal, omnipotent God who is spirit, right? He's the spirit. And not to believe that there's any other spirits. That seems to be very random, doesn't it? In other words, they believed that there was no life after death and no supernatural world. And one other quick thing I want to mention, because this is important, I've seen... I've seen this in commentaries. They, they, I've read a lot of them this week, man. Whew, more than usual. And what all the commenta- many of the commentators try to point out is, well, the reason they didn't believe in the resurrection is because in the first five books of the law of Moses, there's no uh, clear mention of the resurrection. Now, that sounds like a good argument, but here's the only problem with that argument. They also didn't believe in angels. And oh my goodness, angels are mentioned all over the first five books of the Bible. You with me? So the issue was not that they, didn't, they hadn't read it with their eyes and actually taken it in. There's obviously something going on here. And I'll tell you what was going on with them. It was a, a bad spiritual condition that they were in. They were rationalistic. They were materialists who wanted the ethical system of the first five books in other words they wanted the morality of it the laws don't do this don't do that because they wanted to be they wanted to look like good people you know we all want to be seen in the world as we're good we're moral we're not the bad guys we're the good guys but they wanted all those things without a supernatural world without all the supernatural things that the bible tells us is true Now, this will bring it really home for you because it sounds so theoretical. And I'll show you why it's not theoretical. I actually met someone who believes what the Sadducees believed, and I didn't even know it was one of my own relatives. When I was a brand new believer, man, I was zealous. Look out. And my poor Uncle Frank, my great Uncle Frank from Sicily, decided he was coming over for a Sunday, man, and I got him. I started sharing the gospel with him, and he just cut me right off. And he goes, listen, don't give me none of that stuff. When you die, that's it. The worms eat your body and there's nothing else. And I'm like, whoa, all right. I didn't believe in beating people over the head with the truth, so I kind of backed off a little bit. Okay, he's a little upset. So a few hours go by. We have a nice little dinner that my mom would always cook. And as he's leaving, I said, all right, Uncle Frank, see you next Sunday. And this is what he said to me. He takes his hat off. He goes, oh, Lord willing. 
Now, I remember thinking, what in the world? Talk about inconsistency, right? One minute he's saying there's nothing after death. Next minute he's, he's, he's saying only if God enables him will he be here next week. Do you understand the contradiction? And I didn't realize until I studied this. In this sense, he's a Sadducee. He was a Sadducee, right? He professed to believe in God, but he emptied God of all his power. You with me? And unfortunately, there are people like this today that we face in the streets. And we also, Jesus says, be careful that you don't fall into that. Because you cannot call yourself a follower of Jesus and not hold to his word. And not know the power that God has to raise the dead. Where's our hope? Our hope is not for this short, brief world. If it is, you're to be pitied more than all men, the Bible tells us. Mark records in his gospel account of this incident, Jesus ends his, uh, his rebuff with these words, you greatly err. So I want you to see that because I want you to see this isn't something I'm making a big deal of. Jesus is. He doesn't just say you err. He says you greatly err. And he gives them two reasons why they greatly err. And that's the last two things we're going to talk about from this passage. And he says this, two reasons that they greatly err and they're astray. Because number one, they don't know the Scriptures. They're ignorant of the Scriptures. And number two, they do not know the power of God. Let me look at the, and, we're, and then he actually explains them backwards. He mentions them, scriptures, power of God, but then he goes, power of God, scripture. So that's the order we're going to take them in. They do not know the power of God. Now listen, the problem with the Sadducees is, was, is that their mind, their hearts, their lives were fastened on this present material world only. They didn't know the power of God. They assumed, listen, this is a really bad assumption. They assumed that when anybody, when the Bible talked about an afterlife, that it just meant it was an upgraded version of this present life. Kind of, you know, when you go to McDonald's and they say, you know, you, you, I'll take a, a number five, and they're like, do you want to make it a, a, what do they call that? Yeah, you want to supersize it? So it's just what we have now in this life, but just on steroids. So it's everything now, but just better, you know? They fail to realize that Jesus, as he puts in verse 30, at the resurrection, people will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They'll be like the angels in heaven. And this is where the fun part begins. Right? Interesting statement. In other words, this is what I believe Jesus is saying. Marriage was created for this world in order to provide some relief to loneliness, right? That's one reason. It's not good for man to be alone, the Bible said. It's one of the reasons God gave us marriage. Second, God gave us marriage to procreate so we would fill the world, that we would have children, right? That the earth would grow. And thirdly, I didn't say anybody point this out. One person mentioned it in passing. The third reason God gave us marriage was to reflect the relationship that Jesus has with his church. Right? The church is the bride. Jesus is the bridegroom. But none of that will be needed in the life of the world to come because we will all be in deep, intimate, blessed fellowship 
with God and with one another. All those things that will be passed away. In that sense, we'll be like the angels. But listen, he doesn't say we'll be angels. Man, you've got to be so careful reading these verses. Amen? <laughs> he doesn't say we will be angels. No, we will not be angels. He says we'll be like the angels. Undoubtedly, Jesus mentions this as another little dig to the Sadducees. Remember, they didn't believe in angels. So Jesus says, we'll be like the angels. Kind of a little bloop. Imagine the joy. Here's what Jesus is saying. Imagine the joy, the intimacy of the best marriage that you, could th- that you know of on this earth and multiply it, multiply it greatly and that'll be the kind of fellowship and intimacy we'll have with, with God and with all of God's children. That's what Jesus is saying. It's a complete new order. You know, it's one thing, I think it's not a bad thing to take the different verses that talk about heaven a little bit, talk about the new heavens and the new earth, and to use a little imagination. But I think when we do that, we need to guard ourselves and remember, it's going to be so otherworldly, so beyond our comprehension, that it's going to be nothing that we've all, any of us here could totally expect or dream of. Take your best dream and it's going to look ridiculous compared to the reality of the new heavens and the new earth. What God has prepared for us is amazing. It makes the, what Jesus is saying, the best things that we can pick up, that we can think of in this world are nothing. Only the power of God can completely recreate heaven and earth and bring about a new world that makes the old one look like a bland dream. They did not know the power of God. St. Teresa of Avella once put it this way. Listen, I love this. The first moment in the arms of Jesus is going to make a thousand years of misery on earth look like one night in a bad hotel. Don't worry, I'm going to correct it because I'm going to, believe it or not, I think it's, 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 I'm going to tweak it a little bit and kind of make it fit with what Jesus is saying here. I think we could tweak it to say this. The first moment in the arms of Jesus is going to make a thousand years of the best this earthly life had to offer look like one night in a bad hotel. Isn't that awesome? Now listen, it's important to understand it's not that we're not going to know our spouses. Because those of us who do have uh, good marriages by the grace of God, sometimes that can make us sad thinking about that. It's not that we're going to not have anything to do with our spouses. Once we go to heaven, I'm going to say, hey, Mary, it was nice seeing you on earth. Have a great eternity. It's not what Jesus is saying. He's saying that our relationship will change and that all of our other relationships with all the other children of God will catch up to that one. And we'll have that same intimacy with everyone who knows Jesus in heaven. And that means Jesus, Mary Ellen and I, by the grace of God, when we get there, we're going to look and say, isn't Jesus awesome? And we're going to look back and say, he was faithful. And I'm going to call her sister. And she's going to call me brother. So the new heavens and new earth is not simply going to be an upgrade of this present world. It's going to be a radical, brand new, incredibly awesome world unlike anything we've ever known on this side of glory. Unbroken fellowship with our triune God and with each other and new bodies. Listen, here's the cool thing. And new bodies that can never get sick, that never lose hair, 
you know, that never has to go to the dentist. I hate being in that dentist chair. And when you hear that, I'm like, oh, it's coming. No more in heaven. Finita. And I'll tell you what, no more of those crappy funerals either. Can I get an amen? That's the power of God. And the Sadducees had no idea of it. And they claimed to be leaders of God's people. Last thing. Bless you. They erred because they didn't know the power of God, but they erred because they did not know the word of God. It might not be enough just to know the scriptures. The Bible does tell us that we have to mix the word of God with faith in Christ Jesus for it to be active unto salvation. Tells us that Paul tells us that in Timothy. But certainly we can't have faith in something that we don't know, we've never heard of. We need to know the word of God. The old blues song puts it this way. My mama, she taught me how to read. Mama, she taught me how to read. If I don't read, my soul be lost. Nobody's fault but mine. And I'll tell you, we need to know the Word of God. To their shame, Jesus points out that the aristocratic religious leaders of his day were ignorant of the Scriptures. Now listen, it doesn't mean they never read the passage that Jesus is about to quote. But what it means is they never read it prayerfully with the hope of actually wanting God to explain to them or or show them what it actually means. They didn't take the time out to search the Scriptures prayerfully and say, God, what does this mean? Speak to my heart. And whatever it says, I, I will by faith fall up under it. That's the way we're to read the Word of God. Not carelessly. Not to find the things that we like in it and the things we don't like in it. And obey the things that sound nice and believe the things that we feel good about and and don't follow the things that are a little uncomfortable. But about the resurrection of the dead, he says, Have you not read what God said to you? I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. Now here's a couple of quick interesting things before we really jump into it. First he says, have you not read what God said to you? In other words, excuse me a second. They say Moses told us this, that, and the other thing. But notice what Jesus says. Have you not read what God says to you? It's very important to see that God does speak today. Listen, here's my point. I, I am not saying that never does God give us impressions. I'm not saying that God doesn't sometimes lead us in other ways, but what I am saying, we could know with 100% certainty that God is speaking to us when we know it's coming from His Word. When we have understood a passage in its context and God has spiritually opened our eyes to its meaning, we know that God is speaking to us today. This isn't just God spoke way back to the Israelites in Moses' day. God is speaking to us today through His Word. God speaks The real question is, are we listening? And I can't tell you how many Bible-believing Christians, evangelical Christians will say, Amen! My only answer to that is, then why are our Bibles so dusty? Why is it the book that stays on the shelf if you really believe that God is speaking through it? And why do we even have any of those blue Bibles left? 
if people really, really in their hearts believed and knew that God speaks through His, what He has already spoken in His Word. As someone once said, people don't reject the Bible because it contradicts itself, but because it contradicts them. And that was the Sadducees' problem. They didn't like certain portions because it contradicted them. Now, the, fa- fa- the Sadducees, they couldn't hold to Daniel as authoritative scripture because this is what Daniel says. Listen, it totally kills their views. Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life, others to shame and contempt. Those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens and those who lead the many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Got to cut that out. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? We better cut that out. We can't believe that. That's pretty clear. So Jesus says, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to slam dunk in your face. Because I'm going to use the scriptures you hold to to prove life after death. I'm going to show you. And that's what Jesus does. He does it by pointing out one little thing that they missed. And it's actually just a tense. You know, tense, past tense, present tense, future tense. There's one little thing about the tense here. It's from Exodus 3, verse 6, where God from the burning bush says, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And then Jesus says this, He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. In other words, Jesus points out the tense of the verb. Notice God does not say this. God does not say, I was the God. You with me? I was the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He says, I am the God. In other words, presently, right now, those three patriarchs are alive in my presence. They are conscious. And that's a powerful argument that Jesus uses here. Because listen, God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. Imagine saying, you are God, you are ruling over the universe, ruler over the universe. Who do you rule over? Where are your subjects? Oh, they're all dead. You follow me? He's not the God of the dead. He's the God of the living. In other words, they still exist in His presence. They're alive with Him in heaven. That's the power of God. God is able. The same God who called everything in existence out of nothing and made man from the dust of the earth can certainly keep our souls alive in his presence in safekeeping until the day of our bodily resurrection from the grave. Now listen, this is important. A couple of things and we close. This is just great stuff. I couldn't help it. This was like a, a crazy buffet, you know, spiritual buffet when I was reading this. One thing we need to have clear is this. Do you ever hear this? I hear it in movies. I even sometimes cringe when I hear people say it. Your, your loved ones who died are never really dead if they live right here in your heart. And to that I go, ah, uh, excuse me. But no. That's sentimental hogwash. And that's not what Jesus is saying here. Jesus is saying, they're really alive. Not just in your memory. 
Not just in your heart. I'm thankful they're in your heart. Don't get me wrong. But they literally, consciously, if they're believers, live in the presence of Jesus right now. I believe my mother knew Jesus before she died. She repented and believed. So I believe she's way happier than I am right now. Philippians, I believe it's chapter 3. Paul talks about to be apart from the body is to be present with who? The Lord. And you know what he says? And it's better to be there. And he goes, I'm torn. Should I stay here or should I go? He goes, but for your sake, I'm staying. For a while. But then he adds, it's better to be there. But we see earlier here, Jesus is teaching that. And he's teaching it from Exodus. In a place we would have never, if you would have told me, Santo, teach the resurrection from the first five books of Moses, I am telling you, not in a million years would I have went to this verse. But Jesus, man, slammed on, he even probably did a little twist. Boom! It says that the crowds heard this, they were astonished at his teaching. And I'm going to close with this. Believer, you need to hear this from your God. You need to take it to the bank and believe it with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Some people have said, I like to believe that the best is yet to come. Well, Jesus says, you don't have to like to believe it if you know me. I'm telling you, the best is yet to come. You can take that to the bank. Amen? Let's pray. Father, how we thank you for your word. It's hard down here. You know that more than anyone, Jesus. But we thank you for your promise. We thank you for your word. We thank you, Jesus. You are batting a thousand. You have never lied once. That your enemies could not catch you in one lie to accuse you of it. And you've promised us that we will be with you in paradise if we trust in you when this life is done. And that our bodies will be raised on the great day of the resurrection of the dead. Father, we pray you would fortify us with this truth so that knowing this truth, we would serve more faithfully here. That we would give ourselves to the spreading of your gospel, to discipling the nations, to reaching and caring out for the poor and the needy. Knowing that nothing we do here is in vain but that we indeed will be rewarded in your presence, whatever that's going to look like. Father, our greatest reward is to be with Jesus and one another with no more separation, no more arguments, no more pain, no more death. Thank you, Jesus, for being you. We worship you this morning. It's in your name we pray. The risen Jesus. This Sunday sermon was preached by the Reverend Dr. Santo Garofolo. New City's Sunday sermon is recorded live on location at New City Fellowship of Atlantic City. If you're in the Atlantic City area, stop by. Our address is 215 North Sovereign Avenue, Atlantic City, New Jersey. Visit us online at newcityac.org. That's www.newcityac.org. Oh God is written and performed by the Reverend Dr. Santo Garofolo. Join us next week for a brand new New Cities Sunday Sermon.